Thank you for downloading this Mass Device Radio podcast. In this 2012 interview, recorded at our second Mass Device Big 100 Roundtable East, we sat down with Mike Mahoney just 90 days before he took the office as CEO of Boston Scientific. We talked to Mike about his thoughts on leadership and how he's going to take the company forward into the next generation. I hope you enjoy this interview and download more Mass Device Radio podcasts. Thank you. We're planning the topic for this conversation, and we were thinking about who was going to be the guest of honor. You really have to go kind of rewind the clock back about 15 months ago, and that was when Ray Elliott announced that he was going to retire from Boston Scientific at the end of the year. And truth be told, we loved Ray Elliott probably more than uh, was healthy. Uh, he, he, he gave great quote, and we were really sad to see him go. But once we knew he was going to be stepping aside for a new, a new CEO at the company, we, we really kind of turned our speculative engines into overdrive. We parsed every investor call. We looked at org charts. You know, we were kind of looking in between the numbers. You know, what were they going to do? You know, would they go generational? You know, would it be someone inside the company? Would it be someone outside the company? Would it be someone outside the company who was once inside the company? <laughs> there were so many possibilities. And, you know, we, 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 really, we really thought we had this nailed because, you know, we covered this company every day. Well, you know, Boston Scientific being who it is, they threw one high and tight right in our face. And they went for both. They, they got an insider in Hank Kutchman, who had become CEO, and then they went out and got J&J's device guy in an orderly transition that would take place next year. And they were going to essentially have the new CEO learning underneath Mr. Kutchman. And we, we kind of said, wait a minute, a J&J guy? Isn't this you know, one of the great rivalries of MedTech? You know, J&J Boston Scientific, U.S. Surgical versus Ethicon, Medtronic versus Edwards. Now, this isn't the first time someone's straddled the, these two corporate titans. It's been done before. But never quite have we seen it where somebody would have such a unique perspective as Mike Mahoney has, somebody who could see on the inside of one of the, of the world's largest medical device maker, and then on the other side, one of the world's largest pure play device makers. I'm really glad he accepted our invitation. So maybe you could accept my invitation to come up here now and sit with me. So everybody, please give a warm round of applause for Mike Mahoney. Thank you. You build it like a boxing title fight. <laughs> That's what I'm good at. So why don't we rewind the clock a little bit, and let's go back to 2011 in the fall. You took the job in, a, I believe it was October, right? Yep. And maybe you could rewind me back a little bit to when you're making the decision. And you're sitting there and you have, I think, two pretty nice decisions. You know, you're either going to stay on at Johnson & Johnson or you're going to take this new challenge and opportunity at Boston Scientific. Take me through some of the calculus in your mind as to how you weighed the opportunity. I was never a big fan of calculus, but I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying this summer a lot more than last summer, that's for sure. <laughs> It was been like eight months now since I joined Boston Scientific, and I'll start off by saying it's an incredible company, and I feel honored uh, to be a part of it, and look forward to becoming the CEO in a few more months. So I'm about 90 days away. When I made the decision, it, it really just turned out to be a, just like many of you have had, just a fantastic opportunity. Boston Scientific is a great company, terrific brand name, innovative, well respected, and I had a terrific position to J and J. These positions don't open up very often. And I really want to make a long-term commitment to Boston Scientific. 
48 years old, and so I'm, I'm planning on hopefully a, a nice, long, strong career at Boston Scientific. And what attracted me one is the, it's a terrific brand name. It's a leader in many businesses. We have six different businesses in broad categories. It's terrific innovation for patients. Uh, I knew many of the employees that were there, so I knew what the culture was like. And also, it's a turnaround. And turnarounds like that, to me, are exciting. And it's challenging and it's exciting. And I know absolutely know we can get this company to grow again and drive a lot of value for the employees and the shareholders. So all those reasons made the decision pretty clear to me to come. Who would you lean on during those moments? And I know during these great moments of where you're making these huge decisions, you wrestle with them in yourself, and then you sort of reach out and say, you know, I've got to ask somebody else because I've gone every single way on it. Well, there weren't many people outside my family I could ask about this one. You know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And Johnson Johnson is a wonderful company, and this is a terrific opportunity for me. I, I spent a lot of time with the board members and really got their commitment to reinvest to grow the company for acquisitions, reinvigorate the growth in the company. So I was convinced of their long-term commitment. Then I finally asked a couple of my kids, they had a couple of funny stories. So my, my daughter knows I'm colorblind. She goes, Dad, everything you wear is blue. So their colors are blue. So join Boston <laughs> Scientific. <laughs> and then my 18-year-old boy said, uh, Dad, Boston Scientific name just sounds really cool. So yeah. I, maybe that's where you ought to go. But <laughs> I did a lot of research and I knew the company. I knew some employees there and it felt right and it feels great now. So obviously there's got to be many things that excite you about putting your stamp on this company. Is there any one thing that you wanted, you feel like this Mike Mahoney was born to do this? What, what's the one that you were born to sink your teeth into? What opportunity uh, here? There's a lot. I think one, and I know Mike Minogue's up here in a minute, he'll, he'll show his device, which is one part of the reasons that I love it, just innovation. And we just acquired a company called Cameron Health, which has a, the only non-transvenous lead defibrillator. And it is incredibly disruptive and very innovative. So my first answer to that one is innovation that really makes an impact on patients' lives. The fact that you can have a defibrillator that will save somebody's life and not dropping a lead into their ventricle is incredibly innovative. And so bringing innovation to patients is incredibly meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, two, just the competitiveness that we all have in the room to grow a company is a big deal for me. And so I have a lot of passion for that. Uh, the third one I enjoy is I really, the culture of a company is a big deal. And so having a, a culture that has a forward thinking and a winning spirit that's very lean Focus on the customer and innovative is a big deal. So I think about the stamp of innovation, growth, and having a winning spirit at Boston Scientific that will hopefully retain our very best employees and develop employees and bring in great talent that I want to be part of. There's got to be something that keeps you up at night when you look at this. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity, but it's still <laughs> a great challenge. What, what, when you look out at this opportunity, and is there ever a moment where you're kind of sit up in bed going, uh-oh? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do that. I do that when I go, uh-oh. I was just telling, uh, I've got an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old. That's when I stay up awake and go, uh-oh. Uh, so other than that, which are terrific, we all think about in the jobs that all of us have are probably slightly obsessed with the, with the work and what we do, and it's what makes all of us in this industry. Probably the two things I think most about, it's a big company with about 25,000 employees, is the, the culture of the company. And it's an incredibly competitive market out there with the regulatory environment, pricing, global competition. And so to me, the culture of our company is a really, really big deal. Mm -hmm. And having people that really have a global mindset that are putting customers first 
that are highly accountable and how can we create a culture, as I said, that just is driving that innovation, that enthusiasm across the company. That's a really big deal for me. Because if you can unlock that, then it doesn't matter. You don't have to be the size of GE or Johnson Johnson. You can be quicker, you can be leaner, you can be faster and more innovative. So the culture to me is a really big deal. And then the second thing I think about <laughs> is how do we grow the company? Unfortunately, the company hasn't grown the last few years. And through first quarter, we didn't grow in 2012. And so we have a growth opportunity that we're going to fix. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about how we're going to do that. And I'm confident that we will do that. We've got, a great, we've got great assets. We've got a strong portfolio. And we're making some smart business development deals. So I spent a lot of time just thinking about the culture and how we're going to grow. I mean, a lot of that growing the field is through new technology, as you said. But I really wanted to focus and drill down here on this competition thing in the newsroom. We love to create narratives and, and we like to take the companies and figure out what's their overreaching narrative here. Is it really as competitive as, as we sort of play it up to be? Do you guys wake up every morning knowing, is there somebody in the black hat that you got to go after every day? And is that a healthy way to do business? I mean, my first reaction is I really don't look at it quite like that. It's an incredibly competitive business, you know, with our endoscopy business or women's health or our stent business or defibrillator business. So there, you're going to be in with two or three large multinational companies, and a lot of smart, interesting startup companies that are battling for it. And so we, we certainly do lots of role playing and, and strategic planning and thinking about consolidation moves and, and where we can get our advantage. But I still think it goes back to the culture that we set within the company, innovation agenda that we can drive, what we can do globally. We have less than probably 4% of our business in India and China. So I think about our tremendous opportunities there. So I think we, if you put more of your energy on our people and our innovation and growth, and be very mindful and smart about the competition, but you can't obsess about it because then you're just constantly trailing them. So do you want your people to be trained to beat the hell out of the competition, or do you want them to be competitive with themselves so that they get uh, better? Both. <laughs> I think the first thing, <laughs> yeah, I think the first thing is that, that cultural mindset of wanting to be the best, absolutely wanting to be the best, and growing faster than your competition if you're a sales leader, growing your worldwide business faster and more profitable than the competition if you're running a business, or if you're the CFO of the company, having the leanest possible finance organization that delivers high value but is benchmarking cost. So if you get everybody with that competitive mindset, whether you're leading a function, mm -hmm. or leading a quality function, a regulatory function, a manufacturing plant, if you have that mindset, and then if you're also being able to connect the dots around the world with their counterparts in Europe and Asia PAC, you can create a very powerful culture in the company. Yes, you said a similar thing about unleashing the winning spirit back when you were tasked with turning around J&J's ortho business. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about, is there any things that you can do as the next chief executive in order to instill that feeling within the people that work for you? Is there any tricks that maybe you could share with us? Because, you know, God, I'd like to figure out a way to, to motivate uh, people that work with me without, you know, constantly having to threaten their lives. How's that, go how's that going? How's that going for you? <laughs> Uh, not so. I mean, I think it's going pretty well, but uh, you'd have to ask them. I'll talk to you later. All right. It's just maybe some principles I do believe in, and I, th I think I learned a lot of it at GE, and I learned a lot of it at a startup I was running in J and J. Those are the three jobs I've had, and, and you learn things that you think are successful. And one I certainly learned from J and J is I, I really do believe in the in the power of decentralization. And uh, oftentimes it's easy for companies to get too heavy in the middle and very heavy at corporate and spend too much money at corporate. And I am a big believer in decentralization, 
and empowering the business leaders as much as possible with as much functional oversight that they can have along with R&D and, and commercial activities. I think that empowerment of the business leader is helpful because it drives more speed and it drives more accountability. So I think that, that theory of decentralization, when oftentimes you're trying to centralize things because the perception of more and more cost savings, sometimes I don't think that's as much of a benefit as empowering the leaders and decentralizing even more. So I think that's something that we'll focus more on at Boston Scientific. Where'd you learn that anyways? It's probably because the things and when you're running a division, what you want is <laughs> yeah. what you want to do. And I always tell myself, don't do, try to enable that as much as possible. I mean, do you remember back to when you were regional manager and what made you crazy and you try to not repeat those mistakes? Sure. I mean, we've all had great bosses, and, and Mike Minogue and I had a common one years ago, Paul Mirabella at GE Medical. Uh, terrific guy, and he uh, used to say, uh, results count and everything else is conversation. That was how we opened up the discussion. But he had a big heart, and he gave you a lot of room as long as you were delivering your numbers, and he held you accountable for it, but he gave you the freedom to operate. And so that stuck with me at a, at a younger age. And oftentimes you work for bosses who, who have different philosophies. And I didn't thrive as well in that environment. And so I, I just believe uh, for a company to be leaner and faster, decentralization is an important concept to have. Uh, a couple of other things we, that we do, I think it's just really important just to benchmark on how you set goals. This sounds very obvious, but setting plans that are under market growth or under competitive growth and delivering those plans is not a big win. So I think just setting strong targets and setting the right differentiation and pay for people that are delivering those targets is a big deal. So I think culturally you can drive more accountability with things like that. So as you're attacking the markets in the BRIC countries, yep. this decentralization strategy seems to be probably the one that would be effective there. Do you have a different strategy for the BRIC countries or is this, is this the playbook you're going in with? The playbook we're going in with, and we have a great opportunity there because we're a, We've been a bit behind some of our bigger competitors in China and India, but we've brought in some terrific leadership who know those countries extremely well and who can help recruit and retain even stronger talent. So the ability to recruit with a strong brand name and to have people who can draw talent and sign effective distributorship contracts and build a commercial network there is really big. And so we've been very successful the past 10 months and bringing in some very, very strong leaders. And then it's a matter of our portfolio. We have a wonderful portfolio, but we haven't had enough focus on registration of those products in those countries. So we're doing a lot with that now to register our products in China and India. And then like lots of companies, we've invested recently in a manufacturing plant in China. We'll be creating significantly more R&D capability in China. But we'll also be measuring our presidents on a worldwide basis for their performance. So it encourages them to think about the business globally rather than primarily in the U.S., which historically has been common. I mean, I, I know everybody understands the opportunity of BRIC, but maybe you could frame it, frame the urgency a little bit for, for me to understand or for our audience to understand why this is so essential to a company such as yours that is already fighting in a marketplace that is crowded and has a lot of competition and might need more customers. Raise your hand if you're a big global company here, but the fastest regions in the world right now, the fastest region is Asia Pac. And if you look at the, the drug looting stent opportunity in China and India, the ability to sell defibrillators and pacemakers, endoscopy, or women's health products in China and India is tremendous. And so with those markets growing 20%, you have to be there because that's where, the, where there's been so much growth, a little bit less growth in Europe and, and a tougher regulatory environment in the U.S. So to grow Boston Scientific, we have to be and we will be more successful in those, in those markets that just the organic volume growth has been higher than the U.S. and Europe. And also, quite frankly, the pricing is better than people think. Which of those markets, though, do you think is 
critical that, that you look at and you say, we got to win there. That's the ground where we got to win. Well, uh, in Asia-Pac, we're very, very strong in Japan. We've got a very high market share in Japan and a very well-established business. Second to that, the developed markets were, were very strong in Australia. The market that everybody shoots for that we're underpenetrated is China. And so that's where we're putting more of our leadership focus. Same exact playing field in there as it is in the United States? Or is there, are there <laughs> new, uh, you know, new, new friends on, on the uh, field of uh, play out there? In play? China? Yeah. No, I would say it's opposite, not opposite, but very different from here. Okay. And I would, I think one thing career-wise, I encouraged my son, and I didn't do, I wish I would have done, is actually do part of your career in Asia-Pac, in China, in Japan. I, I didn't do that growing up. Maybe I'll have the opportunity to do that. But the competitive landscapes are much different. In the DES marketplace, the top three market share competitors are local companies in China. And so it's not us, it's not Medtronic, it's not Abbott and the top three players for drug looting stents, that they're local players, and those local players are looking to extend beyond China. So the, the competitive dynamics there are very different. The distribution network there is very complex, but the opportunities are tremendous with the, the physicians, with professional education, and uh, the growing market. I was struck when you took the job, because I, I think it was, at, it was at a time where there was a lot of turnover in the corner offices of a lot of medical device companies. It seemed like a lot of bigger medical device companies were looking at operations and operations, and, and you come from sales, right? You started your career in sales and marketing. First of all, what's different today from the days when you were out there selling devices in terms of the market, in terms of what you got to do? And then second, how much do the you... The Ford Tauruses are much nicer now than they were <laughs> 25 years ago. And the cell phones were about eight pounds back then. <laughs> so you, had, to have a, you could, had to bench like 200 to put it on your... How much do you draw on that experience in, in your current role? I mean, in, in once, a, once you're sales, are you always sales oriented? I mean, is there? If you talk to our uh, CFO, probably yes. <laughs> uh, I think it's important to always have a customer-focused mindset and orientation. That ultimately is that your people, innovation, the customers. And so we, we want to spend more and more of our time there. And so I think it's, it's really important to have that background because you know what the psyche is of a sales rep, of the sales manager, how important that is. And so I think that experience has been valuable for me. We have a lot of leaders who I've seen in my career that didn't grow up in the sales market have done terrific. It's, it's been very beneficial for me, and it, it was a great learning experience. If you're facing a limited field, do you always say we have to expand the field because you're a sales guy, you think big, you think we just got to go out and move more product? Uh, we, we clearly need to grow. Our company right now isn't growing yet, and so we, we, will, we will grow. But similar with that, the, the market's more challenging in the U.S., and we have wonderful opportunities for just continuous improvement on our cost side. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, when you're running a business, you clearly want to think about growth and innovation, but how do you improve productivity is a big deal for us. And we see a lot of opportunities to improve productivity in our cost of goods sold, in our supply chain, our distribution networks, how we end-of-life products more quickly, how many brands that we carry, how big is the center of the company. So we think a lot about driving productivity to fuel R&D and to do new acquisitions. Do you think the job of your salespeople now in the field is harder than it was when you were out in the field? I, I don't think so. I think the same challenges exist. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe we could take a poll. I think, I I'm think, sure they'd tell you it's much harder. You know, I, I, don't, I think the same enthusiasm for innovation and taking care of patients exists. It's why they're there. And it's why we love this business, why most of us are here. So that's the same. But I think 20, 25 years ago when I was selling, there was probably just as many tough competitors. The market was different. The volume was better. Pricing was better. The regulatory environment was different. But I think the competitive landscape was very similar in terms of number of competitors. 
So let's put it on you for a little second, get a little introspective here. First of all, you're a young man, and you've been very successful. Your mother must be very proud. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Take a look at the steps you took to get here. What do you think? Was there a single most important decision you made that got you to where you are today? Or were there right here next to you. There you go. <laughs> Show's over, guys. Show's over. Right. Um, but seriously. Uh, well, one is uh, I'm proud to be at Boston Scientific, absolutely. And there wasn't one thing. I think with anybody in the room here, Stuart with Mike will be up, with anybody at the table I'm sitting with, everybody has their own different aspirations of what you consider success. And so I've been very blessed. I've had an incredibly supportive family. We've moved a lot. So I'm blessed with a wonderful wife, Julie, and three kids. And I think that framework has been helpful for me because these, these jobs are demanding and travel a lot and you get very involved with it. So that infrastructure has been very helpful for me. And then I had uh, really three, three big jobs, I think, that helped prepare me for Boston Scientific, not one defining moment. As I mentioned, I worked at GE Medical. And I'm hoping this is the last chapter of Boston Scientific, so I'll be here for a long time. And that's one reason why I took the job, because I think I can hopefully be in this job for a decade or more. But I joined at GE Medical. What I learned at GE was I, at that point I learned that I loved this uh, healthcare business as capital equipment, but I, lo I loved healthcare. And I learned a lot about accountability, and I learned about uh, driving stretch results and you know, really just the accountability piece. And then after GE, I was part of a startup company. So I went from a very big company to a startup when I was uh, employee number two. And Global Health and GE was a owner of Global Healthcare Exchange. And so that was a much different experience. And uh, you learn what a balance sheet is and cash flow because you're worried about making your payroll. And I learned a lot about vision and how important it is and really making the right strategic choices and, and raising money. And then I was able to get a terrific job with Johnson & Johnson. And I learned a lot about running a very large company with a very global scale. A lot of business development activities we were involved with. Probably most importantly is just, again, back to the basics of people and leadership development and recruiting, retaining, and developing the very best people around the world and sharing talent. And I think those experiences help prepare me for a Boston Scientific. Okay, so now the hard one. What's the worst decision you made in your career? Is there one you wish you could take back? First time I played golf, I was 25. That was a bad move. <laughs> I should have learned that when I was young. Leaving J&J &J was a very difficult decision emotionally because I had lots of friends there and a terrific business. That was a tough decision to leave that company, but incredibly excited about that I left and, and part of Boston Scientific and going to become the CEO in a few months. So I honestly can't think of any one decision I'd take back. Well, I'm glad it wasn't the answer to the first question I asked when you said that you won the best decision you made was to sit up here and talk to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're rolling out all these new products, in particular, you know, a layer, which is kind of a really exciting product for asthma. You mentioned the Cardinal Health product. What product camera? Yeah. What product you, you you're like, that one I really like. That one I wanna I mean I know you love them all. But which one really gets you excited? Well you mentioned two. Cameron is, is really fascinating, the leadless defibrillator. And it's, it's fascinating because some EPs, electrophysiologists, will say they'll use it for 5% of their patient's volume. And some will say they'll use it for 40%. And you'll get some in the middle. 
And what we love about it is people use the word innovation a lot, but this really, really is very, very disruptive. And we think it's a platform that saves patients' lives, can be implanted in children. We think it really changes the landscape of the $11 billion ICD marketplace. So we think that and it's a platform that we can build off of for generations to come. So that's a neat one. The second one that you may not be aware of, but I'll give you the plug, and hopefully you won't have to use it, is a wonderful company called Allaire in Marlboro here, our endoscopy business. And we did an investor day here, and this is for severe asthma. And what's neat about this is there's over 300 million patients who suffer from severe asthma, and I'm sure you raise your hand if you know somebody. Uh, it's an incredibly scary disease. It costs the healthcare system over $50 billion in the U.S., as severe asthma does. And we had a, a patient at this event we had in Marlboro, and she basically she said she couldn't blow out one candle on her birthday cake, one candle, and she would never go anywhere, a vacation, shopping, anywhere, unless she, she was within five miles of a hospital. Because 20% of severe asthma patients will enter the ER, and greater than 10% will be hospitalized every year. And so it's a very scary disease. And this, so the, the unmet need is really nice. The innovation, it's the only medical device treatment that treats severe asthma and essentially smooths the muscle tissue in the lungs to open up the, the lungs to allow you to breathe better. And so the innovation's unique. We're the only ones in the marketplace with it. And so we're creating the market. We're working through reimbursement. It's CE marked approved. It's, it's for younger US. patients too, right? It can be up to 18 years, 18 years and older. Okay. So that's a lot different than your current. Sort yeah. Of we believe it's about a billion-dollar market opportunity around the world. We believe it'll help set a, a new growth trajectory for our endoscopy business. So it's really neat. It's incredible what it does for patients, and it's a new market for us. That's great. Okay, so a couple, a couple of fun questions, quick ones. Uh, and you can't answer, you know, with more than, like, a sentence. No filibustering. Uh, what would you be if you weren't a CEO? I'm not a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be... I would be. What would you be I if you were Robin and waiting? President. <laughs> what would you be if you weren't in the medical device business? If you could pick any career, what would you be? Besides this one, you can't pick this one. I actually wanted to be a doctor, so I was interested in becoming a doctor. Okay. What is your favorite band? The Who. Not Do Who. I'm sorry. U2. U2 was my favorite band. Well, they're both good. Yeah. What's your favorite sports team? The Chicago Bears, Bulls, and Cubs. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You didn't say White Sox. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm converting, though. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll edit that out. White <laughs> yeah, Sox. Ten years from now, Boston Scientific will be fill in the blank. The fastest growing med device company, just like that, fastest growing medical device company. My hero is. God, why did I think of Roger Staubach right away? That was weird. <laughs> I should have said my dad. <laughs> Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach I think he was like eight years old. I should have said Muhammad Ali or something like that. You could take all three. All right. We're in a giving mood. Ten years from now, Mike Mahoney will be. At Boston Scientific. Let's hope so. And let's do it ten more times. Thank you so much. All right. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all right. Thank you very much.